No Gray Zone podcast is a frank and honest conversation on topics related to sexual abuse, harassment, child exploitation, and domestic and workplace violence. The opinions are our own, based on years of experience as special victims prosecutors. Any study, book, or product we mention is based on our own review and are not sponsored. Links and titles can be found in the podcast notes. You can also learn more at rightresponseconsulting.com. Listener discretion is advised. I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at caring too much. Is it too much to ask that you be all mine? I never was good at sharing. I'm just good at caring. Welcome back. I'm Katherine Marsh. And I'm Melissa Hotmeyer, and this is No Gray Zone Podcast. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Evan DeMarco. Today we start our new season, and before we get started, we want to let you know that this season we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're still going to have four-part series, and we're going to continue to focus on domestic violence, workplace violence, sexual assault, child abuse, and human trafficking. But... In each series, we're going to have an interview with somebody else in the field, and we're going to end each series with a case study, a way to look into how these cases actually play out in the courtroom and what individual agencies may have learned from prior cases. And what we hope is that this gives you a better idea of how prosecutors, how service providers, how law enforcement work to bring justice to victims. You know, these are some of the most heinous crimes that you can see. And so these series are meant to kind of give you an inside look and an inside perspective from those people. And so we're starting a new series, and this series is going to focus on intimate partner violence. We are going to cover the truth behind intimate partner violence today. And then we have, we're going to talk about the role of service providers for victims of intimate partner violence. We're going to cover intimate partner violence investigations, how they're done. And then finally, we're going to cover when the worst happens. And that is homicide related to intimate partner violence. And we're going to have on a wonderful a supervisor, but detective who's going to talk about one of the, the worst cases that he's seen. And so we're looking forward to that new content. We're really excited about this new format and being able to bring, you know, experts in the different fields from all over the country to our listeners. We don't know it all, and we always enjoy learning more from those who are experts in their fields. We're also excited about our new look, and we want to thank Jay Schwartz for working with us on the new design. We hope that this new format provides you with some useful information about important work that is being done throughout our country to help prevent abuse, how to hold offenders accountable, and how just everyday regular citizens can jump in to help. And so with that being said, let's just dive right in. Yeah, let let us start. And so I think the best way to start is you may be asking yourself, what are they talking about? What is intimate partner violence? Yeah, it's a relatively new term, and I think most of the time we get it confused with domestic violence. So intimate partner violence does actually come from that broader term of domestic violence. But where domestic violence can include violence against a spouse or partner, it also includes violence against other members in a family. So a child, a brother assaulting another brother, fights between in-laws. All of those kinds of cases fall under the broad term of domestic violence. And intimate partner violence is a smaller, more unique term. 
Yeah, and it's also unique in the way that the violence is perpetrated. You know, we, you, we've we talked about and you've probably heard about the power and control wheel. That really does play a huge role in intimate partner violence. And that may not play a role in the larger scheme of domestic violence. So it is very specific. And what the CDC defines as intimate partner violence is physical violence, sexual violence, stalking or psychological harm by a current or former partner or spouse. And the psychological harm can be financial, it can be, uh, you know, harmful words, it can be taking you away from your family. It, it has a really wide array of things, some of things that may not be criminal, but perpetuate the violence in the relationship. And when we talk about intimate partner violence, we're talking about something that really is a national pandemic. I couldn't agree more. In fact, Intimate partner violence is a worldwide pandemic. There is not one corner of this globe where intimate partner violence doesn't occur. But if we're going to stick to just the United States, I think it's important to know the statistics here at home. The CDC reports through its National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey that about one in four women and one in 10 men have experienced some form of intimate partner violence in their lifetime. Yeah, and when you break down the statistics further, they don't get better, unfortunately. So we looked at the domestic violence hotlines reports on intimate partner violence in the U.S., and they say that on average, 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner. And so when you break that down, and we are not good at math, so I did use a calculator, that's over 1,400 people an hour. And it's about 35,000 people per day. And statistically, it's over 12 million people a year in this country who are a victim of some form of intimate partner violence. So when we said it was a pandemic, we weren't joking. Yeah, and intimate partner violence comes with significant public health consequences. You know, it is not just a... uh, criminal justice issue. It is not just a family issue. It is a public health concern, which is why the CDC is so actively involved in it. And according to the CDC, intimate partner violence can increase an individual's susceptibility to heart disease. It can cause both digestive and reproductive issues. It can even cause some nervous system disorders, all of which can become chronic as a result of the violence. ACEs, or Adverse Childhood Experiences, has gotten a lot of attention in recent years, and it should. And it talks about the same kind of thing Melissa just referenced. It's the long-term chronic health concerns that occur for a child who experiences these adverse experiences while growing up, or trauma. And so when we're talking about intimate partner violence, it mirrors the same thing as ACEs. These are traumatic experiences that the victims and survivors live over and over again, and that much stress and trauma on the body repeatedly is going to cause long-term chronic health concerns. And that's not even tackling the mental health issues that can be caused by intimate partner violence. Survivors are more prone to depression or other anxiety, such as post-traumatic stress disorder, which can also increase the likelihood for addictive behaviors like alcoholism or drug addiction. Absolutely, Catherine. We used to say 20 years ago that intimate partner violence was a di- was a family problem, right? Something that we shouldn't get involved in. But we now know that we should, that we need public awareness, we need prosecution, we need public assistance to help with this because there are very real consequences for the survivor, for the children involved, and for our society as a whole. whole. And so we must demand action. There are also not only, you know, criminal justice consequences and public health consequences, there are economic consequences 
to intimate partner violence. The CDC reports that the lifetime economic cost associated with medical services for injuries, loss of productivity for work, criminal justice, and other costs is $3.6 trillion. That's right, I said trillion dollars a year in the U.S. And the cost over a victim's lifetime was about 103767 for women and 23414 for men. And given that women of color are affected at a greater rate of intimate partner violence, this is money that survivors in our society cannot afford to lose. And as Melissa said, this is not a family problem. This is a community problem. When we look at these statistics, they bear out that employers in this country, intimate partner violence costs them over $727 million a year in lost productivity. And when you take into account the lost days of work, coming in late to work, all of the things that occur because of intimate partner violence, it amounts to over 30000 jobs a year equivalent. Let's see. And look, these statistics are astounding and they should paint the very real picture of the cost of intimate partner violence. It's not just economic, it's also that physical cost. And we know that intimate partner violence homicides are up right now during this COVID-19 pandemic. Data from the U.S. Crime Reports suggests that in a typical year, about one in five homicide victims are killed by an intimate partner. And the same reports found that over half of female homicide victims in the U.S. are killed by a current or former male intimate partner. And this has increased about 10 to 15 percent in jurisdictions around the country due to the pandemic. You're you're right, Catherine. And it's not just homicides. We have seen a uh, rise in violent domestic and intimate partner violence across the country, too. A 2020 American Journal of Emergency Medicine article talked about several different jurisdictions. I'm just going to name a few of them just to show that it really isn't just cities. It isn't just rural. It's really it's really across the country. Portland police have recorded a 22% increase in arrests and intimate partner violence. Jefferson County, Alabama's sheriff's office reported a 27 percent increase in intimate partner calls. And New York City reported about the same that our jurisdiction has, which is a 10% increase in intimate partner calls. And we could not do a podcast about intimate partner violence without talking about one of the most lethal forms of intimate partner violence. And that's strangulation. Melissa and I have spent years working to change the law in Maryland and to get the word out locally and nationally about the dangers of strangulation. Currently, there's only about three jurisdictions remaining that do not have strangulation as a felony assault. One of them is Ohio, and we know that's a big push in the Ohio legislation this year is to make strangulation a felony assault. So if you're one of our listeners in Ohio, please make sure to contact your local legislature so they know how important this kind of legislation is. Absolutely. And so we are going to stress it here again. And if you guys need help out in Ohio or any of those other jurisdictions, you can feel free to reach out to us on social media. We are happy to assist however we can because we do think it is so important because victims of non-fatal strangulation are 750 times more likely to become the victim of a domestic violence homicide. I'll say it again because it bears repeating. 750 times more likely if you have been a victim of strangulation, that you will end up a victim of a domestic violence homicide. Strangulation is an indicator of homicide. It it is. It just is. And it is also lethal in so many other ways, which is why it should be a felony in all 50 states. So if you or a loved one has been strangled, 
please know that it is a major warning sign um, and that you should be trying to leave. And outside of the 750 times more likely to be a victim of domestic violence homicide, it's a very real fact that individuals who are strangled, even if they don't have external signs, have the risk of having organ failure, stroke, or brain damage that can occur days, weeks, and even years later after the episode of strangulation. We know it's not easy to leave an intimate partner violent relationship. On average, it takes a survivor seven times before they leave that abusive relationship. And we know there's all kinds of power and control dynamics that play into that, including financial control, threats against the children, immigration concerns. But we want you to know that if you or a loved one wants to leave, even in the middle of the pandemic, it's possible. And we're going to spend next week's episode talking about service providers and assistance for survivors. It's important to make a plan. But for now, we want you to know that if there is an emergency, please call 911. And if you need to uh, reach out or you need some help making a plan to leave, you should reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or visit their website at thehotline.org. And it's important to know if you go to their website that they have an emergency escape button. So it's easy to get out of that webpage and for no one to ever know you were there. That's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much for joining us for No Gray Zones podcast. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe. You can find us on social media at No Gray Zone RRC on Instagram or Twitter and on No Gray Zone on Facebook. And tune in next week when we focus on service providers and where a survivor can go to get help. There are no excuses when it comes to sexual assault or not having the right response when it comes to sexual harassment. Thanks so much for listening. I'm just good at caring too much I'm just good